welcome to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. I'm Ella May, the founder and director of Vava Womb and Mind Over MRKH, and I'll be talking all things MRKH, aka Mayer Rokitansky Kuster Hauser Syndrome, aka Malariogenesis. I am one of the one in 5,000 female babies born worldwide without or an underdeveloped womb, cervix and vaginal canal. On this podcast, I'll be talking all things MRKH from pleasure to dilating, mental and sexual health, fertility and navigating your MRKH journey. I'll be joined by advocates and experts along the way. This podcast aims to support the production and printing of the MRKH magazine project, where we aim to produce, print and post a magazine to our global MRKH community. If you want to join me on this podcast or ask me a question, pop me an email over at mindovermrkh at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at mindovermrkh. You are not alone. You are worthy and you are loved. On today's episode of the MRKH podcast, we have the wonderfully encouraging creative human that is Badia Atchison. Badia is a daughter, sister, auntie, cousin, friend, author, founder, and so much more. She is the founder of Sisters Anointed for Encouragement, CEO of Badia Did It Braids, and in the MRKH world, she is on the advisory board for diversity and inclusion at the Beautiful You MRKH Foundation. Badia is a fiercely admirable and inspirational advocate in our MRKH community, and I can't wait to talk to her. <laughs> Hello, Badia, and welcome to the podcast. It's so nice to have you on. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Ella May. I'm just excited. So hello. <laughs> hey, I'm so excited as well. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know you? But I'm sure they do because you're amazing and famous in the MRKH yeah. world. <laughs> okay, well, yes, I'll introduce. I'm Badia, and I am a newly... Um, advocate, I like to say, well, I'll say publicly open um, advocate as of last year, and I'm just excited about it. I am um, a sister, a daughter, uh, a niece, an auntie, all those great things, and also I'm a I'm founder, CEO of Safe Encouragement, Inc. Um, here in the United States. Um, I am also the CEO of the Dia Did It Braids. I'm also, also an author, newly published author um, this year, and I'm excited about that. I am also have the opportunity of doing some advocacy work with um, Beautiful You, a part of their, um, yes, their, uh, uh, oh goodness, their um, inclusion, uh, diversity and inclusion team, as well as um, their, um, a lot of different things I'm a part of within Beautiful You, and I'm just excited, excited about it, yeah. Well, I'm excited to have beautiful you, Badia, on the podcast. <laughs> just said there that you shared your story online and you're a fairly new advocate. When did you first like go public with MRKH and how did that feel for you? Okay, I went public with MRKH maybe 2013, 2014. Mm. Uh, so fairly early, you know, so, um, not too long ago. And... Mm. That was only due to my mom found Beautiful You on, oh. um, on the internet. 
after uh, I found them and when she found them, it's just opened up a whole new world um, for me where I was so excited. I said, oh, so this is really a thing, you know, <laughs> this is something yeah. that other people like me. So since then, it kind of gave me the push to um, open up and share it with my family. So that's where I first started with sharing, sharing mm. with my family, um, just letting them know that I will be being a little bit more vocal and open about it and that I was about to share it on social media. So I shared it on social media and the response was, was it wasn't what I thought. It was more um, warm, warm, not necessarily oh. a lot of people trying to, a lot of questions, you know, but it mm. was just more embrace type of thing. And then the question. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's amazing. No, I think, and like we always say to everyone, there's no like success. Like with anyone, even if you don't share your story, you can still feel really proud. But I just like to ask the people that have, because it's like a different feeling of being public, isn't it? So, yes, um, right, yeah. yeah, I still feel it. I still feel that kind of like weird, even though I've been doing it for a while. And so have you. It probably still feels a bit strange sometimes online, yeah. does it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Especially when I use, I use the word and I, I remember Amy's, um, 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 session with you uh, mm. I too love to shock people by saying oh I was born without a vagina <laughs> so, yeah that's just that's getting it out there oh yeah, yeah she said she does it in the taxis yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh I love that um so I guess there's so many things I want to ask you and I know we've sort of planned a bit of conversation uh, but could you tell our listeners a bit about teenage you um and I guess a, a bit around your diagnosis story um and yeah I mean let's just kick off so when when were you diagnosed and how was that experience for you sure okay so hmm, my story is a little bit so I I we did not know the actual name hmm. of the condition or however people want to um, name it hmm. but um until 2013 so I had um, surgery and when did I have my surgery in 1993 oh, okay. in 93. And then I remember um, my doctor explaining different things and sharing and saying what, what procedure he would do, but he never told us the name that there was a such thing for this. It was just, we would do a, a reconstructive surgery. So and, was that was that the yeah. first thing they said? So rather than yeah. giving a diagnosis, they just said you need to have surgery. Was that? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, okay. and, and it stopped there. Um, there was no more. I later learned that uh, mm. you, I, we were supposed to go through therapy, you know, um, mm. go through dilation. There was none of that. So I just had the surgery and pretty much we were. And, and, and I would say. I'm not going to say the doctor's name because he's an awesome doctor. Mm. And I would definitely recommend um, other MRK uh, people to go to him. But mm. was then, back then, he, he did not give us enough information, which left us kind of in the dark. You know, so once mm. fast forwarding, um, we, after going to a series of doctors and all of that, <laughs> and those horrible experiences, it caused us to do a little bit more research. And so when my mom started Googling and putting in what was going on with me, she came up with MRKH. So then she found Beautiful You, mm -hmm. which caused us to meet more people. But then 
we went back and said, I said, I think I want to go back to my doctor and get my medical records as for my records and see if they have it on there. Well, we did that. And yes, it says it on there. It did. I, yeah, it wow. said it. It said it, but they never, never said it to us. They just told us that um, we would do reconstructive surgery and that I would not be able to have children you know, went mm. through, cause I have type two, MRKH oh, okay. type two. So they tell me about the one kidney and all of that, you know, um, but never a name for it. Never that's a name. So, that's so interesting that it's on your record. They knew the name, yeah. but they just didn't feel the need to pass it on as if it was just like the most, the least important part of what you have. Yeah. Like that's, that yeah. is really, did you ever ask the doctor why he we, hadn't? I'm trying to think, I was 17 at the time. So mm. I, I didn't ask, you know, but mm. I want to believe, and I don't want to speak for my parents, but I want to believe that they asked. Um, that would be the, that would be what you would do is ask mm. what's going on. But um, according to my mom, she never knew. We never knew what the name, she just, the way I remember the story going is the way that she told me. Mm. Yeah. And can I just ask a bit around, like, before you were diagnosed, obviously as a, I can't remember, what, how old did you say you were when 17. you were 17? So when you were maybe 15, 16, did you have much sex education when you went to school and anything to do with infertility? Or did you ever have um, friends that had been for anything similar? So how was it before you were diagnosed and those years leading up? How did you feel about your body and things that maybe like not starting periods and things like that? Well, I will tell you this. I was, I thought I was sexually, mm. act, sexually active. I did think that. Yeah. <laughs> and and um, I, what I did was, what prompted all of that was I um, took school one day, class, mm. with some friends. And we went to a Planned Parenthood. And we said, we were going to go get pap smears and get um, condoms and all these things, right? Yeah. And so when it's time for me to see the doctor, she tried to do the, the pap smear. and it wouldn't go but you know passing a half inch so and 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 she's saying to me she said you are you sure that you're sexually active I said yes I I mean yes she said well I'm going to ask you an uncomfortable question is he putting his penis in your rectum and I said no you know I'm in high school you know and she said are you positive I said yeah so mm. she said I think that you this is something you, I'm going to stop she stopped mm. and she said in which it was very uncomfortable um and she said I want you to go home have a conversation with your parents and then um have them make a doc- appointment with your primary doctor and so we did that and which led us onto a series of, I went through, I went through one doctor before I met my doctor who, mm-hmm. who did the surgery for me. Um, the first doctor, he thought that it was just a thick layer of skin. Like, hy- that, like a hymen. Hymen, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought yeah. that as well, yeah. And so he said, well, we'll do an in and out, in, in and out um, mm-hmm. procedure and just snip it and we should be fine okay he never did a sonogram none of those things so we're like okay you know we're thinking he's the doctor he knows what he's talking yeah okay so we did that um that didn't work 
I, I'm, I'm trying to remember what caused us to, to go further, but we did. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think what he did, he recommended us to go to Children's Hospital, um, which we did. And then that was when they did the series of sonograms and mm-hmm. it just checking everything out. And then they started telling me what I had and what I didn't have. Yeah. So then came the the um them sharing that well we can do a reconstructive surgery um and and create a vagina for you. But I was totally I was shocked. I said, I know I'm having I yeah, know you're I'm thinking sex. I'm, I'm thinking having sex, yeah. it's, it's painful <laughs> sex, but I think it's sex, and I'm thinking that that's the way sex is supposed to go. <laughs> yeah. You know, what do I know? But yeah. And I guess yeah. that there's so much around like sex is so much more than penetration and no one when they're younger really knows what sex is, what what, what it is. And, and you kind of think that like the whole construct of virginity, that if you've tried to do something, you must have lost something or so. Yeah, yeah it is. Such, it, I get it. I get it. It's such a strange feeling because I was sexually active before I did any dilation or anything. And I just thought, well, yeah, I have had sex. Like what's mm-hmm. it's not no different. So I don't see I know that virginity isn't the word we should use, but I don't really see myself as having not had sex just because I didn't go through dilation. I still had sex before. Still sex. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So anyway, so just a bit back to your kind of um, story as teenage Badia. How how did you feel and um, how did you cope as a as a young teenage black girl with MRKH? How how was that for you? Um, Confusing, Mm -hmm. very confusing. Um, I questioned a lot of things, especially once we had the surgery and the doctor. he did tell me about not being able to have children. Mm. So once that came about, I was like, well, well, what, what, you know, I'm thinking, well, all he had to do is just create a vagina. I'm thinking I still have the, you know, the parts in there to do, to have children. And he said, well, you would not be able to carry your Mm -hmm. own children. Um, We can harvest eggs. You know, he did explain that part, Um, but that's odd because he never gave us a name, but anyway. Uh, he did explain all of that, um, but I just remember feeling disconnected, mm. very disconnected, um, because I come from a large family, and so it's 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 three boys, three girls, you know, and it's just. But I, I and I'm the oldest girl, oh, so okay. I'm thinking no children you know that was my first thing I I won't be able to give my parents their first grandchildren you know Mm. that type of thoughts were going through my mind um along with I would always have dreams always have dreams about um carrying a child delivering a child Mm. um but in in those dreams made me very uh confused I was confused because I kept thinking, I said, well, the doctor doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, I'm having these dreams. I'm having Mm. these dreams. So one day I will be able to carry my own child. I believe that, you know, I I told myself, yeah, Mm. I told, because, you know, as you said, it's vivid. And I saw myself having um, children and and all of that, holding them, you know? Mm. So I felt uh, very disconnected. My family, um, have always been supportive, always been supportive. Um, but it was to the point of only, you know, as much as I would let them in, I had to let them in 
mm. in order for them to be supportive to me. So they never really knew what I was dealing with mentally and emotionally because I just, I kind of internalized it for a very long time, internalized it and just told mm. myself, oh, hmm, I had a surgery. I'm still going to have children. I'm st- there's nothing wrong with me. That was my mm. mentality. Um, and there's still nothing wrong <laughs> with us. <laughs> I will say we're that. not broken. We are not broken. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I, I had good friends who were around me, um, along with my family mm-hmm. who just kind of, you know, uh, coach me on, encourage me to just keep my spirits up. But I've, n- I really never had time to go into a depressed mm-hmm. mode until I became older. Yeah, so I kind of went through my my teenage years just, you know, I I was afraid, of course, Mm -hmm. to date because I thought then, well, I'm I'm sexually active. Um, Now I have this surgery. You know, how is that going to be? How do I how do I have sex? Am I supposed to have sex? What is it going to feel like? You know, all of those confusing thoughts um, went through my mind. But I, I I did try it. And I was confused. Yeah. <laughs> I was confused, you know, because it was a different feeling. Mm. It was, and different. no one knows what it's supposed to feel like. And every time it feels different, yeah. even like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's MRKH is complex, but pleasure and sex is also really yes. complex. <laughs> in fact, it's not complex because yeah. we shouldn't. I think our pleasure shouldn't be seen as complex. But I think for an MRKH, it's just a bit confusing because you learn so much about penetration and what you know, you don't really understand what is supposed to feel like let alone after surgery or dilating or during um so yeah how was how was how was that for you it was uh well as I said they I I did not do go through dilation so I didn't Mm. know anything about that um Mm. that process um but what I did was what I noticed when I would have sex is that it was um it's more so I I name it a massacre that was what I I called it it was a massacre because Uh. it was it was, it was, I'm just going to stay to be honest. It was a bloody mess. mess. Yeah, no, I think you know, yeah. candid so, conversations. Yeah. Mm. And so that, um, that mess with my, my, my mental, you know, mm. so which caused me to not necessarily, I don't want to date. Mm. If, if we're going to end up having sex and that's going to happen, I don't want to date, you know? So I went through a time period of not dating. Um, and then when I did date, I dated guy a guy for many years, the mm-hmm. same person for many years because he was I was comfortable. Yeah, he, he knew you. Yeah, he knew you know, you. yeah. So, and when we would have sex, <laughs> it it would be the same thing. But mm-hmm. I will say this: what I learned is that the longer uh, time period that I I between having sex was that. Uh, when I would have sex, it, that's what caused the the massacre. Mm. Okay, right, so okay. so because so when what I know now is that had I been dilating, then I would have took away, you know, the um, what is it, contracting 
it was contracting back oh so you, you had know? the surgery but you weren't given the information that you because I, yes. I, that's what I thought because you your the advice of the UK is if you do have surgery you dilate afterwards to kind of keep it mm-hmm. is it the scar tissue at bay and keep yes. everything kind of opened right and you didn't get that advice I didn't get that information oh, so, but yeah. I will say that um I, I hear others' stories mm. and they were given that information. So it's just that with me, I wasn't given that. Yeah. So I didn't I didn't try the dilation thing. Mm. But I now that I know that that would have helped with um, my times of not having sex. Because yeah. I, I didn't understand. I said, well, it's a lot of uh, women in our community who are having sex or mm. have a, a mate and they're not, ex- I would always ask, when I when I will be in meetings, well, is anybody experiencing after sex blood, blood bleeding? Yeah. You know what? And they would say no, and I'm like, well, what's going on with me? You know, that made me go back into myself again mm. and try to figure out what, what, um, what's happening with me. Why why is this? Because you come to you come to our yeah. like the community for support, thinking that everyone's going to understand. And then yeah. if someone doesn't understand in the MRKH community, then that must have made you feel even more alone in your Very specific much. diagnosis in your journey. Yeah, I can't even. Yeah, yeah. I, I, had, I had a horrible bloody massacre. <laughs> One <laughs> of the first times I tried to have um, was oral sex, basically. And but that was before I'd done any dilating. It was like pre MRKH diagnosis and there was blood everywhere. So I sort of I can feel like the um, how that felt for you, like the confusion yeah. and like the awkwardness, because I didn't tell any friends or family. It's probably the first time I've told that said that openly as well. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like it was there was so much blood and I was so confused like where did that come from and I can't even I don't even use tampons and this has just come out of my body yeah so I I get the confusion but um yeah it must have been a shocker (laughs) it was it was a shocker we thought that well maybe hopefully we won't have to go because I didn't want to get the surgery again I said Mm. I'm going to go through that again so I'm, I'm hoping that the doctor did the right thing that he knew what he was doing you know um but yeah, it, 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 but I just remember feeling very just, um, I was confused and just trying to figure it out. And it wasn't just myself. It was my, my parents as well. Mm. So try, we were all just, you know, trying to figure this thing out. We, we didn't understand it at all. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I remember trying to console my mom and having her to not feel, um, she felt the type of way. She felt mm. hurt and she felt, she questioned things. And I said to her, I said, mom, we're learning this together. You know, this, this nothing that you have, you did. And we didn't do research, so, so we didn't know much about it. But yeah. I did tell her, it's nothing that you or dad did. I think this, it just happened. You know, it's it just happened. Mm. Yeah, so she did feel like that. But I, thinking back on it, I'm glad to know that I didn't have my thoughts and emotions alone. Mm. Yeah, she also felt, which caused us to have plenty of conversations. It's sort of like, it's hard to have your mum feeling a certain grief with you, isn't it? But it's also needed because you you are kind of in it together when you are a mum and daughter. And I had a similar thing with my mum where she kind of took on quite a lot of the feeling bad for it because you Mm -hmm. produce and give birth to a child and you just hope that everything goes well for them. And I think it's just one of those crap things that's happened to someone 
that they're going to take on um so speaking of your family and um experiences do you think that being a black woman with MRKH that there was any I know I know that I put this question together before around any added stigma um and any sort of stigma in in your community and navigating your journey and sort of society's expectations I've read loads of sort of articles from black women suffering suffering with infertility where they've said things like um there's an expectation of bigger families and things like that and it was a really interesting sort of aspect to MRKH that I think there's some research being done through the beautiful you which is amazing and I just wondered what your um personal experience of that has been if you don't mind talking a bit about that sure, sure. um well as I shared the lack of information Mm. um that was given um I I can't speak on I I haven't experienced lack of compassion Mm -hmm. but I have felt like I I believe that we're not given enough information or Mm -hmm. it's I'm not saying that we need you to take our hand and walk us through but give us the same information or opportunities that everyone else is afforded. Have those same conversations and say, you know, this is what we're dealing with, but this is what we can do. You know, this is is still afforded to you. Um, I I don't think in a lot, I'm not going to say in all cases or situations this happens, Mm -hmm. but I have heard a lot and I have personally experienced a lot where it's more so it's not the bedside manner where they take their time and actually talk. Mm-hmm. Um, had we known about therapy earlier on, I think that a lot of my um, episodes with depression, you know, I could have dealt with that differently. Um, I didn't even realize that I was going through depression. That's why I said, as I gotten older, because I didn't realize it, you know, or that it was coming from the MRKH. So I think that there are a lot of, um, a lot of material, a lot of conversations, even a lot of opportunities are not afforded because in our community, we are known for having, like you said, large families Mm. or, or having um, teenage pregnancies or things like that, where they just, I don't know if people think that we're just out here having a bunch of sex and just having a bunch of children, <laughs> you know, I don't know, but that's not something that we necessarily, you know, some of us, yes, mm-hmm. some of us no. but that doesn't mean that we should not be given the same opportunities um, exactly. as the, the another woman. Um, I just think that we are, it's, 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 it's the lack of conversations and understanding. I think sometimes looking into our culture or communities, it people could think that we're way too strong, you mm. know, and that because we are very strong, very opinionated, very, very smart people. But at the same time, um, it's a lot that we don't know. So and we're just like everybody else. We just need, once we're educated and we the information are, are shared, we can share, go take it home to our community, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and figure out ways to, to grow as a community in those aspects. So I just, it's, it's the, it's the communication for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Which you that, deserve. 
yeah, so like we, everyone deserves that equal amount of information and communication and yeah. and just to get rid of those myths like you said around um people think you're too strong like and there's yeah. the myth there's a myth that black women not feeling pain and, and not and not needing those bits of information but actually it's just all um just horrible like historic stigmas that just shouldn't exist anymore and you what do you think the um mrkh community in particular needs for black women and people of color with mrkh to be able to thrive and cope with their diagnosis is there anything you think that the charities or the people around us can do um with or for you sure well like um beautiful you mm. like mrkh africa like um mrkh um connect like others the wonderful wonderful huge foundations and organizations in our community i think the representation is very important um vocal representation I'm not just putting a brown face on a post mm -hmm. or um, on a picture, but actually speaking out, uh, given the opportunity, like now, given the opportunity to be able to share what our stories are, what our experiences are. So that way, I think it will allow people to say, you know what, they're not too much different than we are. Mm. You know, they're not different. We're all people. So it's it's the same. We We want the same uh, opportunities and experiences as every other culture, every culture, you know, um, but that is, that is something that I, a vocal, I wish we can have more vocal representation in our communities. And I, and I challenge, um, those African-American or, um, Black women in our, um, community to step up to step up because we are needed just like everyone else. Everyone wants to see someone who looks like them, you know, um, and mm -hmm. want to hear success stories, you know, and, and understanding and knowing that, understanding that what you're experiencing could be the same thing that I've experienced, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, and I think that, that that can be very much encouraging to say, you know what, oh, so I'm not so much different mm. than, you know, the, the next person. Um, and they may not even be Black. You know, yeah, they may yeah, not yeah. even be Black. So my experience is the same, but I'm understanding that. And I just, I, yeah, that's, that's what I would love to see is more, more of that in our community. And we're beginning to see it. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah, well, beautiful you and the um, inclusion team, a diversity and inclusion team. We are, you know, we have representation of different cultures, different cultures, different communities. Mm -hmm. So, and because that is Amy and Christina's, um, is very important to them that everyone is represented, represented, and that you're able to see someone that looks like you. So mm -hmm. that way you can come and get the the help or you know the, the yeah. that you need because you have someone that looks like you. you don't have to feel like you're on the outside and that's what I love about the um, diversity and inclusion team and we are planning some great things in the future to be able to, to rally people on and, and say you know what I'm gonna join that I'm gonna join yeah. that I saw I don't know I'm gonna say myself I saw Badia you know, and if Badia was able to do that and 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 join different groups to um, be representation, 
then I can do the same thing. Yes, you can. And you're smashing it. <laughs> um, no, that's yeah, I totally agree. And I think it is so important that because MRKH in itself is quite rare. Well, it's not that rare, one in 5,000. But actually out of those MRKH people, there's so many different stories and different cultures and different ways of diagnosis and people in different countries and different privileges. And I think like there's all of our stories are different, but everyone deserves representation and every story needs to be heard. Um, um, which is yeah I'm just excited to be hearing so many stories on the podcast yeah. so yeah thanks <laughs> for sharing um talking of success successful people and thriving with MRKH and I know that you are um at what moment in your journey in life do you think that you feel like you kind of thrived with MRKH even though we're thriving all through our lives that's a given um yeah, and, and I know you talked about your sort of advocacy journey. So what was the sort of point where you thought, right, I just really want to get involved in advocacy and and I know that you reached out to the beautiful you. Um, so yeah, just a bit more about that would be amazing. Sure, sure. Um, I think it was maybe 2014 or 2015, something like that. I went to my first um, MRKH uh, meeting in Michigan. And when I went, it may have been one other black, and I want—I I don't want to call her name, but one other black mm -hmm. um, woman there. Um, and I looked around and I said, wow, where are we? Um, but I also, sitting in the different sessions, I learned that I hearing different people's stories and how open they were and sharing it it just pierced my heart and it made me because at that time I wasn't open I wasn't advocating I, I shared it with my family I think I may have I I shared it on um social media you know but mm -hmm. I wasn't open and sharing what my thoughts were what my journey was what my how how I felt about it and I was seeing this and hearing it and and I was like and it just brought me I got very emotional that day and I said wow and I looked at my mom because she was there with me and I said mom you know in our culture we are taught strength we're taught to just um I don't want to say eternalize things but we end up doing that so mm -hmm. although we're asking for more help, <laughs> you know, and more openness and communicating. We also have to do our part. And so when I saw that, I said, you know, my mom said, that's because in other cultures, they talk, they discuss, they mm -hmm. say how, how they feel. Um, and it's okay. Whereas we can do that too. But sometimes we are, um, we just we we will internalize mm. more so anything we will we will share it with our family members but not so much in a setting like in Michigan you know so that was a culture shock for me mm. it really was but it was a good culture shock because it taught me something. I can see Badia's smile right now, by yes. the way. Yes, <laughs> I I, it, it taught me something. And I felt, I said, you know what? After I went through my emotional moment and all of that, I, I met, I met, um, who was it? I met Jacqueline. That was the first time I met Amy. I met, um, oh gosh, Elise. 
Um, you know, when you go through yeah. these people, it's like talking about famous people, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline, Amy. <laughs> At least um, I met some very, very cool people that I've been seeing and maybe, you know, talking yeah. to on, on um, Facebook and the groups and stuff. And I, was and it I really said, surreal? It was surreal for me yeah. because I said, wow, these are women who were born just like me, mm. you know, and although we're not the same go. culture, <laughs> yeah, but they're like me. So mm. I, I remember feeling so um, just free and overwhelming. But mm. after we left and I went home and I said, mom, you know, I think I'm ready. I think I'm going to send Amy a message and I'm going to tell her that I'm ready because we had kind of had little conversations back then. And I did like a, um, a interview with Christina back then, mm. but uh, well, before then, but then I said, you know what, I'm ready. So I sent Amy a um, inbox message and I said, Amy, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to um, be more vocal. I'm ready to do my part, whatever that is. So use me however you see fit. And Amy sent me a message one day and she said that she and Christina would like for me to join the advisory board. And I said, wow, <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't know wow. much about MRKs. I'm learning about this thing because I never knew the name of it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't know how much I can, but I'll do it, you know? And, and it started there. And fast forwarding to last year, was when I actually became vocal, more vocal. Mm -hmm. I would talk to people in inbox messages, maybe on phone calls, you know, stuff like that. But I started being more um, vocal, openly um, on social media last year. And that was when Amy asked me to join them in, um, uh, for their conference mm -hmm. last year. Amazing. Yeah, and that was awesome. So it's been on, it's been going since then. Oh yeah, but the beautiful you is just awesome. They're also one of the yeah. first charities I found. I've actually got the, the uh, beautiful logo tattooed on my leg as well. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but I am going to do it. That's my point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that is. I think the stuff that you've done with them is incredible, and just the whole charities, like the ethos and the inclusive um, aspect of it, which is obviously required across all MRKH um, platforms is just incredible and I can't wait because I know that there's loads of research that they're doing at the moment and loads of stuff, stuff that's being funded so it is really exciting just to get like you said just more information out there yeah. and for, uh, for different people and on different journeys and different communities so um, it's amazing that's so amazing. thanks thanks for all you've done in the yeah. MRKH community yeah yes because <laughs> uh, I know that I'm doing stuff but I think that there's like I'm obviously a, uh, yeah I'm 28 now when I was 16 I found the beautiful you um wow. why did I say I'm 28 I'm 29 I'm literally like I'm lost who am I <laughs> how old am I um anyway yeah can I just ask you a bit around yeah. speaking of social media around your online platforms your CEO um you're a boss uh so you've got an organization called or charity called safe encouragement um could you tell us a bit about safe encouragement and what that's all about and what you do and and how it helps people yes sure so um I founded I, uh, safe encouragement in 2009 and it was just myself at the time and what it is is now it's it's myself and three other women and what we do is biblically biblical based organizations so we have um, monthly discussions we come up with a theme for the year and we have monthly discussions on various topics open floor 
and um, also we rewrite um, weekly devotions. So it's biblical based. Mm -hmm. So it's about our, our uh, experiences as we journey with the Lord. Um, also, we have written our first book, which has made me oh, wow. a new author. So in that, in that, in that book, is our um, a collection of our devotions. So mm -hmm. we do that as well as um, different community outreach work throughout the year, mainly during the holiday time. So we do the feedings and, you know, that type of thing. Um, I just, I really, really love safe encouragement because I get to do Badia. Yeah. And who Badia is, is, is truly a cheerleader. cheerleader. I love to cheer people on. I love to encourage people. So I have these three awesome women who have come to help me. And I say help because I needed the help. And who have all, who are, are all have big hearts for the community and big hearts and love the Lord. And what we do is just mm -hmm. spread the gospel. That's what we do. That's what we do. And that's through sharing that's our awesome. experiences. So that's a little bit of who thinks and what we do. Uh, yeah. you're back okay <laughs> it's a literally just towards the end I was worried that something had happened oh that's amazing I, I did I yeah. did have a look at it before the podcast and it just is so just uplifting positive spreading love spreading like good vibes so yeah that is that is really really amazing and congratulations on the book that's really thank cool you. Thank so you is that so out much. so you people can yes, buy it's that out. now yeah. oh, Amazon make, and make sure we Target. link that up <laughs> yeah yes yeah. yep um I have I've skipped a few questions that I really wanted okay. to ask you around um because I just I saw the safe encouragement I was like let's go straight there but just going back a little bit to MRKH then we can go on to future um what sort of I know that there's obviously MRKH comes with fertility aspect to it did you ever venture through a journey of um wanting to have children or having children because I don't I don't know you enough to know anything about that part of your journey so I'd love to hear a bit more about your um thoughts feelings and experiences with fertility and MRKH sure yes um I did of course like most of us um I did want to have children mm -hmm. I wanted um once I learned about the MRKH, well, learned that I could not have children. I mm. kind of, as I told, I said, I told myself, no, you're going to have children. Mm. <laughs> that was my mindset. You're going to have children. But then as once I went to um, seminary, college, and once I graduated and, and continued, started my organization and career mm. just started picking up. And and I saw my attention and my time being pulled. I just said, you know what? Huh. And about then, because I'm 46. So mm. then I was maybe. You're not. Yes, I'm 46. You're not. <laughs> I am 46. So then I was probably, I'm trying to think, I was in my 20s, 30s. I, when I was in my 30s, when I made the decision to just focus on career. I said, you know, um, I, as much as I will love and I want children and I know adoption is an option, you know, um, I, I even, I, my sister, one of my sisters, she, she said to me, we had a discussion and she agreed and she said, you know, I will carry, I'll carry your child for you if, if that's what, you know, and I said, I loved it. But then one day my sister came to me in tears and she said, but dear, I'm pregnant. I can't do it for you. Oh, I was so hurt, oh. but, 
but I was excited at the same time. Mm. And I said to her while she was in tears, I didn't want her to feel any type of way because I was already feeling my own pity party in, <laughs> inside. So yeah. I said, well, some, I'm going to say her name and she doesn't matter. Simone, it's okay. Mm. It's okay. I understand. She said, but I want you to be her, be my God, my daughter's godmother. And I said, of yeah. course, you know, so I have a whole slew of godchildren. <laughs> I have a lot of godchildren. 11 nieces and nephews you know oh, so wow. I'm fulfilled in that area I really am yeah. but I I still you know I went through through those motions mm. of um, wanting that but I made the decision to focus on career and and I can say today I'm so glad that I made that decision mm. because I've always wondered how my child would feel with the busy schedule that I have would I would I be able to give her or him all the attention that they needed and so and and I know like my mother said moms makes decisions you would have made the best decision for your family and because you made this decision this is the best decision for your family so I you know I it made that. me feel better yeah mm. made me feel better about the decision I made and not that I made um because at first I thought I made the wrong decision. You know, I, I did question. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, well, what if I get married? I even thought one time I said, well, I guess I'll be a single mom. I'm going to adopt. <laughs> I'll be a single mom. I'm going to do this thing, you know. But then I said, nah, no. I, I, I didn't want uh, more than what I can handle. Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad that I made that decision. I will say that... Um, what was the toughest um, for me? Because I have six, it's six of us. I have five siblings. Everybody have children every last month. Uh, and they have two, two or more children. And every time someone got pregnant, they got, it came in twos. So if one sister was pregnant, my brother was, and his wife was pregnant. So they came, it was two children. And, and you're one, like, calm down, please. Yes, <laughs> but it was too much for yes, me. And that's when I began to learn, say, but mm -hmm. it's, you need therapy. That's when I began to go through the emotions mm -hmm. and, and, and saying, you know what, this is way too much. I thought, I said, you gotta be kidding me. Why is it again? Too, I'm, I'm, and I'm not kidding. Every time they came in twos, mm. in twos. And I said, oh, this is too hard for me. Too, it, was, it was hard, very difficult. But um, yeah, but I'm glad that I have the siblings that I have because they always included me. They always it, made sure, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, so I was just going to say, was it a case of, because I felt this way that you're happy, like you're really happy for them yeah. and you're obviously going to feel so much love for your nieces or nephews or whoever they are but you're just sad for yourself was it was that sort of how you felt happy for them sad for you and that was yeah. the and that was when yeah, yeah. it's a, it's such a weird feeling and and I think it is like you said around the feelings of MRKH every part of the journey is different so you've got being younger and there's a lot of sexual um confusion and things like that and then as you get older like the fertility grief kicks in and I think 
I'm feeling like that now at my at my age that I'm confused I don't know how old I am (laughs) Um, like that fertility grief kicks in like later on in life and you suddenly go oh like maybe I do feel a slight sort of hole in the heart feeling for this unborn baby and even if you don't like you didn't have children but um so did you so you sought some therapy or some help for that late later down the line or or recently Uh you said I'm going to be honest with you, LMA. I just started therapy last year. Last year. It was when I actually looked up a therapist, Mm. (laughs) called and made an appointment and actually had a session. And so that alone, and and it wasn't just about MRKH. Mm. It was just, you know. Life. (laughs) Life, period. Mm. But what that did was show me that did you need to have more sessions just pertaining to your MRKH. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I, I don't know. And that's another thing in the black community is that we are so used to discussing things. If it's not family, it's your pastor, mm-hmm. you know, you go to your church and things of that nature and you, you have discussions and ask for prayer. That's, that was our therapy. That's our therapy. And it still is in a lot of cases, but whereas a lot of us now are learning, you know what? I need a little bit more than just, I need to go and see someone, a therapist, a licensed um, mm-hmm. therapist, someone who specializes in, in the help that I need. So I, um, yeah, <laughs> now mm-hmm. I'm, 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 we're, I'm learning the importance of, of making sure I keep up with my appointments and go and talk to her and separate regular life between Mm. mrkh yeah and also figure out how it glues together as well like just just the balance the mrkh life balance um but yeah no i think for therapy one thing is it's a bit of a it's it's an expense is it in america is it quite it's quite Mm -hmm. expensive yeah and i think there's definitely a huge thing with mrkh that we there should be some kind of therapy pot because so many people seek it in different ways and even now like even here we've it's all you've got to pay for therapy and even I, like there there is some free therapists at queen charlotte's but personally i i'd had it when i was 16 once or twice and i haven't done therapy since but there's certain things in my life you know you just go i really need to talk to someone i really need to talk to someone and then you just think that yeah so i think there definitely needs to be more um I don't know, like resources on therapy yeah. in different countries and around the world and maybe a bit of a global, this person knows about MRKH, go and speak to them because, yeah, it exists in the UK, but there's only one <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> yeah, so, but no, so anyway, I hope your therapy is going well. I hope you're getting as much off your chest and just figuring things out for yourself. I need to do better though. I need to do better. <laughs> that's part of your therapy, right? Yes. <laughs> I need to do better on um, scheduling sessions. I need to do uh, yes. Yeah, that's that's yeah. my issue as well, because I'll book it and then go, oh, I've got something else to do. Yes. <laughs> We're too busy for that. No, it's, you know, therapy, it is so important. I've just, I'm the same. I just need it probably at the moment and just haven't been able to seek it. To be honest, it's been, I've been doing these podcasts for people and it's a bit like therapy because I'm listening mm-hmm, to people's mm-hmm. stories. I'm sort of mm-hmm. sitting back and loads of stuff you've said, I'm like nearly in tears. And then I'm sort of having a bit of a MRKH moment every time I do a podcast. So yeah, yeah I can imagine. Back in a um so just coming to the end 
but but not the end of your story because there's so much we want to maybe talk to you again about some other things but what does the future hold for you at the moment in terms of beautiful you safe encouragement books oh and you're you've got a company for um hair haven't you as well yes, I didn't talk to you yes, about yes, that yes, so there's yes, so many yes. doing so many yeah. things so what does the future hold for you and I know that that question is so open-ended and it's not like a interview for your future but it's just what do you see when you're mrkh slash life balance and the, and the world ahead of you well uh, what i see in my future is more openness mm-hmm. and being open to myself um what i think what i need what i feel mm-hmm. um and and actually sitting in it and dealing with it um allowing myself that time mm-hmm. um i also have a new friend in my life, which brings much joy. So I'm like, ha, I don't like to say friend because I'm 46. <laughs> so it's not a friend, but it's a special <laughs> person in my life that has me smiling and looking at things differently. Um, mm. I look forward to that blossoming. Um, I look forward to as I'm far excited as, for you. Yeah. <laughs> as far as safe, I'm looking forward to um, publishing more books because they, we have so many devotions archived. So I'm looking forward to putting out another book um, with Safe as well as continue my own writing and putting out my first memoir. Um, I'm just looking forward to just creative. I want to be more creative, open up my mind to create. That's what I love to do. So I think that that it's more of that what people will see and probably see Badia just jumping around. It's like, what is she doing now? You know, I'm, I'm just trying different things. And, and I'm open to it and, and I just love to create. So that's what I'm looking forward to create. Yeah. You're so creative as well. So, so creative. Well, anyway, maybe we should do a podcast in five years time and we can both see what we said that? five years ago. and see. <laughs> A time capsule. Yeah, I wouldn't say so. You said you were going to be more crazy this year. Yeah. We, could, we can do that. We could book it in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to ask everyone that comes on uh, Badia around what your message is to the next person being diagnosed with MRKH. So I'd love to hear what you want to say to that next girl or person being diagnosed. The best thing about um, my diagnosis is, or my journey, is that I get an opportunity to teach people how to love me. And when I say that, is that because I've been quote unquote different Mm. or not normal quote unquote um, for so many years that I'm like, "Hmm," but I'm still me. You know, I'm still here, I'm still living, I'm still experiencing life. So that means that I get an opportunity to show someone who I am, introduce them to who I am and show them how to connect with me, how Mm. to love me you know, for who I am and being different. So I, um, that's something that I would love to, to get out there. You could, this, our uniqueness, our, the fact that, you know, people say we're not normal. We are normal. We're very normal. Very, very normal. (laughs) What is normal? Let's throw that out. Normal is not a word. So Mm. we are who we are and we're living. So Mm. with that live, just live, live your journey, make it how you want it. Um, you can color and just bright, vibrant colors if you want to. You can make it however you want it to make it because it's your life. Don't allow your diagnosis to dictate how you should live your life, how people should accept you, uh, if you're a woman or not. 
if you identify exactly. as you know you don't even this is your life we're all here to just live it so that that's that's what i hope that people will introduce others how to love them ways to love them point blank i love that <laughs> My heart, my heart's going again. Um, and another message I don't know if you wanted to spread is to there's people there, Mark H, but there's also young advocates. Have you got a message to the next advocate um, of MRKH and, and how to navigate their advocacy journey and being online, I guess, as well? Sure, yes. Um, take your time. Take your time. Your time is your time. Do not allow anyone else's uh, powerful voices or, or ability to speak out to make you feel like you have to jump out there to speak out. Your time is your time. Take your time. Take it, live it, and just, and when you're ready, oh, we're going to be all waiting and just ready, ready to cheer you on and jo join you as you advocate for the next one. But take your time. Take your time time we all need more of it <laughs> and that's the thing we don't have any more than we've got so we've got to just live every second as if it's our last um so yeah no thank you so much for coming on is there anything else you wanted to add or say for our listeners before we end the conversation which I don't want to end but no I'm <laughs> um, really not I just I just thank you for the opportunity um when I saw the message I said I was so excited. I said, Ella May, wait a minute. Oh, <laughs> I, I was excited. I said, as well. This is so cool. So cool because I love to meet um, different people in our community. And this is one good thing about our community is that we really do. We are a community and we really do rally around each other. And when we meet each other, we're just, we, we look out for each other and the things that we're doing. So I'm glad to be able to support and that I'm able to be a voice to whomever may hear it on the airwaves so I thank you let's hope loads oh no thank you yes. so much it was uh yes, yes I just yeah it's just for me it's just meeting people and I've obviously like chats chats with you or little chats online and seeing your Instagram yeah. and seeing your like advocacy work <laughs> and and for me it's just getting to know people on like a deeper level and just have like these amazing like I've got this amazing opportunity to have one-on-one -on -one conversations which is really mm -hmm. nice mm -hmm. um, and then we can send them to the world and other people can listen to our chin wags <laughs> yes 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 oh what a lovely chat with Badia that was so nice um in all honesty everyone I stopped recording and then we had a little goodbye and Badia was so lovely just saying how um she thought that this podcast was really cool and basically just said I was doing a good job and I just burst into tears and throughout the whole episode I felt this like I don't know like anxiety not anxiety just overwhelmed with emotion just different things she was saying I was just feeling really emotional tonight so yeah I had a little cry and she really is like cheerleader encourager and all-round superstar so I'm really really grateful to have had you on Badia you can't hear me say this because you're gone we've said goodbye and I'm just doing a little post record um anyway yeah loved it so much and as per usual all the links to follow Badia and all the works that she all the work that she does um and all the different links to support her are in the description of the podcast
thank you so much for listening to the Mind Over MRKH podcast. We will have regular new episodes, so please follow and subscribe. If you want to come for a chat, get in touch. And to everyone with MRKH, you are not alone.